Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Tech Trends Podcast, where we discuss the latest manufacturing technology research and news. We have a sponsor today, Steve. Awesome. Uh, this episode is sponsored by the MT360 Conference. The conference is the intersection of manufacturing, software, and hardware IoT. We have a great series of speakers, partly because I was a content manager in the beginning, <laughs> but let's not get into that. Uh, the speakers range from large companies and startups focusing on uh, different technologies, uh, use cases, and partnerships. Uh, go to MT360 Conference to see the speaker lineup and the technologies in the virtual factory. I am Benjamin Moses, the Director of Manufacturing Technology, and I'm here with... Stephen Lamarca, Manufacturing Technology Analyst of AMT. Steve, how are you doing today, man? I'm doing well. Are nice. you talking... You do not... I'm, I'm like miffed that how energetic you are today. Yeah. I mean, and... and now I'm sure our listeners would be like, "How he doesn't sound energetic." At all. <laughs> ben is trust you know for somebody as neutral in emotion <laughs> as you are, you're really energetic today, and I am just pooped after the conference yesterday. Yeah, it was a long day, so doing a one day trip up to Chicago from DC definitely wore me out. Um, partly because the only reason I'm kind of energetic in your viewpoint, right, is I'm hardened. I've lived this. <laughs> Late night lifestyle because it's not like I'm out partying. It's just yeah, I'm doing chores and stuff till like eleven o'clock every when night. When did you wake up yesterday morning? Yesterday morning, normal time five. Five. Okay, yeah. I did too. Yeah, and it's no longer the normal time for me. <laughs> like for my first few years at AMT, yeah. like two or three years, I was waking up at five thirty. Sure. Uh, and yesterday I woke up at five. Yeah. After you know all this year, I've been waking up at like seven. Yeah. I think part of the problem is just being on a plane. Also, that just physically drains me. Yeah, I did take a nap oh, on the plane. It's awful. I'm great yeah. at falling asleep for like the first half of a plane ride. Yeah, but it's not restful. It's painful. It, it is painful because yeah. you wake up because your bum hurts. Those <laughs> the seats are great for the first half hour, maybe hour. Yeah, and but because you can't move laterally, right. at all, you know, whatever. I want to complain to the airline industry. Fix your seats. They're getting better. I will I say that. So. I don't think so. They're putting chargers in them. They're yeah, not yeah. comfortable. Comfort is not getting better. The technology. And I don't think it's going to get better. Correct. You just have to spend more. Yeah. <laughs> um, but at least they're putting chargers in it. That's handy. That's really nice. Um, Walk us through what's going on in the test bed, Steve. So the test bed, um, you know, we mentioned that we went to a show yesterday. Yes. We went to a quality show in just outside of Chicago in Rosemont, Illinois. Um, and we were there for two reasons. To put our fingers on the pulse of metrology and inspection and in quality assurance technologies. And it was cool. It was really informative to me. Yep. You knew most of what was going on there. So I got to learn from you and the demonstrations at on site at the show. Great. So that was a great experience for me. And I'm, I'm very thankful for it. Um, that was the first purpose of being there. Second purpose, we were doing a little bit of shopping. We were. We were looking shopping. for, you know, some some top dollar stuff and for some, you know, essentially just tool purchasing right but you know we are looking to expand we've got the robot on the way um we've got a five axis milling machine now eventually we're going to need for a fully automated and integrated cell which will be the you know the final form of the test bed and then some right um we're going to need inspection for sure so Definitely. we were looking at non-contact uh metrology equipment yep um you know 3d that can do surface stuff, uh, topography. Um, and there's a couple of reasons for that. It's, uh, one of the main reasons we want to automate the cell as much as possible. Yeah. And I feel that, uh, and we have a significant cost constraint considering it's a, a test bed for us. Right. So that between the constraint of, um, you know, the cost and uh, how we're going to automate it, plus we have a robot arm on the way. Yes. Uh, I definitely feel that going non-contact might be the 
absolutely meet those constraints. Yeah. And and so far, I think, you know, our options, I, I, one company that we looked at, one of the first booths we looked at had a pretty affordable solution. It's right. still right. out. All of them are a little outside <laughs> of our price range, yeah. um, which is unrealistic. Right. I'll add from from attending the show. We did learn that our price range is a little unrealistic. Correct. So either the technology is going to get better and stay the same price sure. or the market's going to uh, surplus and well, it's going to get less expensive, which is what I'm predicting with robots. That's yep. besides the point though. Um, but what we were looking at, what we saw was uh, that that one unit that was actually had a platform. So a robot would put something on that uh, rotary table yep. and then it would be a, a non-contact visual inspection of yeah. the part. And it was really high speed. That was a cool thing we looked at. The other thing would be, um, the robot picks up a hand scanner yeah. and then uses the scanner around the part. Mm-hmm. And we utilize the rotary table of the milling machine we already have mm-hmm. to inspect the part, yeah. which is another possibility. It require a little bit more, um, implementation of software Correct. and, and it, there'd be a lot of troubleshooting to get it working right, uh, in the beginning, but it, it's, it's, that's Probably closer to where we're heading. Yeah, I think so. Definitely with inspection, so. but you know, it was it was cool. We saw we saw a lot of great options, and it was uh, just there, there was a lot. Yeah, for yeah. such a small show, there was a lot, and it was good to understand where the market is headed in terms of technology trends. Also, both the physical assets and the digital side now. Yes. So it was good to understand, you know, the number of companies that were presenting digital technologies, and we actually interviewed one that gave us some really good information on the kind of the state of standards within quality yeah good information and it was also good to see kind of hey hand tools are still required right hand tools are absolutely still required sometimes just keeping old school keeping with yeah and speaking of old school i also you you pointed out the uh the, like the CMM doing a probe change. Oh yeah. <laughs> old school and you using, uh, I, I don't know what the, the, you know, the terms sure. are, but it used a stick to like, uh, turn the quick change, uh, knobs to, yeah. to do a probe change. It was, it, it was <laughs> serious automated <laughs> integration of something that should not be automated. Yeah. So I remember a long, long time ago, we had this old horizontal machine that we were using for a long time. And it had a rotary table that we wanted to add to it. Or we had a rotary table we're going to add to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was a manual indexing rotary table. So what did we do? We didn't connect a motor to the rotary table. We said, we're just going to have the head extend further, push it down on, manually push it down on the plunger <laughs> to index it around, go back and do the cut on that new new way. So that concept of having the machine physically interact with another mechanical system. Yeah. Is a really interesting shortcut, and it was really interesting it's, to see that as a. It is so entertaining sold. to see how how advanced this industry is, right? Yet also how how uh, how many MacGyvering <laughs> it is. Like like right. For, I, I'm losing my vocabulary right now. I'm just still so so tired. That's but awesome. It was the, a good event though. And, and the other thing that we got to see was you know dial test indicators. Yeah, yeah, that's what I, we're looking I for. I want right to buy now. one yeah. for the Pocket NC. I mean, what it, it can't be more than a couple hundred bucks. Yeah. Hopefully under a hundred. I, I think it's that's not too unrealistic to and ask. The but. need for that is we have an edge finder so we can define where it is. I mean, yes. we run in a couple of instances where we need to verify the part and the flatness yes. and perpendicularity. So we'll be able to do that with the. Uh, uh, dial test indicator. A dial test indicator would going in back to, talking back to the test bed. Dial test indicator would be so helpful right. in um, cutting these brass watch dials. Good. But 
let's talk about the brass watch dials yep. and machining the brass watch face has been more successful than I anticipated um, a couple weeks ago. Okay. Um, it, yeah, it's gummy. It's not as perfect as, you know, when I cut Delrin. Sure, it's brass. Delrin's <laughs> a diff, you know, we're talking different animals right, here. Right. And I'm limited by the max speed of the machine spindle. Right. Which is 10K. And remember, uh, when I want, went to uh, the watch factory in PA, mm-hmm. they were like, yeah, we don't we don't go below 20K. Right. Um. So, but I'm happy with the surface finish of what will be the face okay. of the uh, the new watch dial. Um, so the next steps are, you know, just drilling a center hole. Yep. Uh, so the hands can be mounted to the watch. Um, I'm going to, the, the next, the next step after that will be cutting some indices into the dial. Okay. A 12 o'clock indicator, six o'clock, a three and a nine. And I may even do, you know, the other uh, hours as well. Mm-hmm. It depends how clean I want the dial to look. And then uh, the last step is cutting a chapter ring and then a the, removing the dial from the Delrin. Okay. Which I have a feeling is going to be harder than I think it's going to be <laughs> because that brass, I was, I got to pat myself on the back. Right. I secured that brass okay. onto the Delrin work yep. holding. Like that soft jaw is not letting go anytime soon. I'll bring in my heat gun. Yes, that will help. All right. Loctite, we'll to, Loctite makes some serious epoxy. We'll have to do it outside. It may smell inside the office. Oh, yeah. That's a good point. We'll we have the balcony it. right there. Yeah. That's that's a little shady. Oh, yeah. We don't want building to listen to this. No. Hopefully, you won't listen to the podcast. Awesome. That's a good update. I'm looking forward to that. And then um, uh, we got some development stuff going in work, so we can go uh, do some uh, complex uh, machining, hopefully, by the end of the year also. Yes. So I'm excited to transition uh, back into the Dell run. Absolutely. Me awesome. too. Gonna get into some articles here, Steve. Yeah, let's hear it. What what's the first one you got on the docket? First one I got is about artificial intelligence. Uh, that's been a hot topic, uh, obviously for a long time, and in manufacturing is growing quite a bit. Uh, but I will, I do want to talk about is understanding the black box of artificial intelligence. So the idea of artificial intelligence is fairly fuzzy to most people. The idea is I put in data, it does something, and then I get results back. That's you know, your input-output di- diagram. And it's that little black box. Nobody fully understands what's going on because you put in data, you call in a command line, and you get, say, an image or a results of something that you asked for. And what the growing trend in um, artificial intelligence, the practitioners of artificial intelligence, is they want to understand what the tool or what the algorithm is uh, is doing. It's... Um, uh, so Google Ace uh, is a new tool. It's called Automated Concept Based Explanation. So they want, hmm. what they want to do is have the uh, algorithm tell the user uh, basically what they did, show, showing their work. So in this case, they walk through a scenario where it's classifying images. So if you put an image uh, through this tool, it tells you, is it a cat? Is it a ball? Wow. Uh, so in this case, they, you know, they, have, they go through a, a volcano, lava, uh, cinema, uh, characters like a cinema billboard. Uh, and characters of a le- uh, you know alphabet, uh, baseball. This so, has been around, hasn't it? Yeah, yeah. So well, you can use this in Google Image Search. Yeah. So the idea of putting these images in and then telling Google or having this algorithm tell you what it is mm-hmm. that's been around for a long time. Right. But the tool that they're doing is it's breaking down the image and it's telling you what part of the image is most relevant to classify as a tennis ball. So for example, let's go to the oh, example cool. of the tennis ball itself. It uh, shows you which is the most priority, which is which is most relevant uh, portion of the image, 
that is going to classify as a tennis, tennis ball. So, for example, it's using like the green skin. Mm-hmm. It's using like the P is using Wilson as part of the classifier. <laughs> uh, you know, back to um, they have a carousel example. Um, uh, the one I did like was the ambulance uh, and the uh, uh, basketball team. So one of the most important things of understanding was most relevant was, you know, the description of the car itself. You know, the tires, the word ambulance, the lights. Um, so it's very interesting that, you know, the interrogation of the algorithm itself, how it got to that state is a growing trend to understand uh, what the algorithm is doing. There's a big concern about biases. I think yeah. this has helped to understand what um, portion of the image in this classifier is most relevant that's driving you, driving the algorithm to that result so they can understand if there's a bias. Uh, because in the end, these classifiers are working based on data that they've uh, been trained on. And there's a big concern uh, on understanding what data that they're training and if there's a bias. Because, for example, the training data has some human input also. Right. So they're concerned about understanding if there's some human bias in developing that training yeah. set. I mean, and you and I have had uh, Google's AI and machine learning technology in our pockets for the past year or so. Exactly. With, uh, you know, the camera on the Google Pixels. Yep. And then, so to summarize the article... Uh, automated concept-based explanation that automates, extracts, and human meaningful visual concepts informing a model's prediction. So I thought it was pretty useful. And then there's a bunch of other tools, like uh, IBM has one. Actually, there's a video. I, okay, that, what does IBM have? Uh, the IBM AI's explainability, explainability 360 Toolkit. The worst title in the world, but it sure. that's exactly what it does. Uh, Microsoft has Interpret ML. Um, and actually, Microsoft has a pretty good video that we'll link also that talks about the interpretability toolkits. So they have yeah. a whole suite of other toolkits that help you interpret what's going on in the data and in the algorithm. I feel like Google's been really like killing it lately with AI development and also the usefulness and usability of AI with you know the search engine and yeah. on their phones, the implementation on their phones. Yep. As for like, you know, I, it goes back to when I was in, public school i think to hearing about ibm watson right ibm watson was like the first like yeah. mainstream ai right you know, seeing it on like jeopardy or who wants to be a million <laughs> i don't know one of those game shows sure and just thinking okay this is ai but how do i know it's not like somebody in like the backstage <laughs> is calling controlling in. it like how do how do i use this ai right. yeah. what does this even mean yeah i play with ai when i play video games and right. it's like that's not ai no, that's an NPC. That's, yeah. I'm so glad they changed the acronyms around. Yeah. Oh, one do uh, thing. One thing I do want to note about that IBM Watson thing. That's that's yes. something we've been using in our right. own tools Tech for Trends. Tech Trends right? We analyze Watson papers. And it's great, and it's been working really well. Uh, one thing that I've noticed that uh, so we're doing a project with America Makes, and you'll talk about America Makes later on, where we're helping them analyze yes. different papers and categorizing it based on their critical technology um, mm-hmm. and swim lanes. Uh, so we're using, uh, we actually analyzed a, a bunch of different machine learning tools to help classify those papers. And only one tool stood out that you can define your own categories. See, all the other tools use their standard categories. Uh, and defining your own set, there was only one tool that allowed that at this current state. So I found that really interesting that I agree with that. that yeah. So Google's been doing a really good job in using broad set of tools. And same with IBM, we've been really happy right. with their data set. Google's uh, just tools. easier to access because it's it's. You go to Google.com. You it's Google got, yeah, something. so it's got the consumer side being able to mm-hmm. access it. IBM's got a really good back end for uh, We use IBM's yeah. Watson. Yeah, we've been using that. Because TechTrends um, is powered by Watson, among other things. But And Microsoft, Microsoft's pretty cool, too, uh, for their uh, platform. And we're, we're just now getting to using Amazon. So we've been testing out a whole bunch, and it's been really exciting. Yeah, 
That's a, that's amazing. So tell me about your article, what you got there. All right. So America Makes. You mentioned America Makes earlier. And America Makes is one of the uh, Manufacturing USA institutes. But uh, this the title of this article is America Makes an ANSI, which uh, MT Connect. I'm, I'm going to throw in a shameless plug real quick. <laughs> MT Connect is now. ANSI accredited. Well, it's ANSI accredited as of last year. But yep. one one uh, version 1.4 of MT Connect came out this year. Okay. And it is officially this year. The version 1.4 was the first version of MT Connect, which is ANSI accredited, and it's now available. Awesome. That's cool. MT Connect users. But anyway, back to the article. Yep. America Makes and ANSI launch an online portal for tracking additive manufacturing standards. Cool. This is a big deal. It is. You know, the, the, the largest bottleneck in additive manufacturing is standardization. Sure. There's no standards for it. And while this article doesn't necessarily announce that, oh, look, we've got some standards for it. <laughs> Maybe there are. I yeah, haven't checked yeah. out the, the uh, I haven't checked out the online portal yet. Sure, sure. But the online portal is a tool for tracking the development of yep. standards for additive manufacturing. And that's a big deal. That's going to that be is. really helpful to a lot of people. Um, and it's going to be helpful not only to people wanting to learn about the standards being developed for right. additive. Yep. It's going to help. The people developing the standards for additive yep. make all of their work known, yeah, and maybe generate some, build some traction for it, and you know, get it uh, to where it wants to be. Tim and I have talked about this a little bit too, because Tim is involved with the American Makes, sure, and that's one of the annoying. So there are a lot of standards in additive, um, it's, and that's one of the problem, and that's one of the value of that tool is that uh, being able to understand the whole universe of the standards within additive is something that doesn't exist now. So their right. tool is trying to basically put their hands around this and make it easier for users that are getting into it. So it helps uh, further adoption for additive and for new technologies to hopefully develop because we can see gaps in the standard uh, landscape. So that was pretty cool. Yeah, it is really cool. That's awesome. Um, was there one more thing I wanted to say about that? If not, I can talk about form next. Tell us about form. Form next. Form next. I feel like there should be some a thunderclap after saying that. <laughs> so it's a lightning, lightning, lightning. <laughs> it's a uh, a new show in Frankfurt, Germany. Uh, that's going to talk about additive technology. So similar to uh, Rapid or SFF here. Um, uh, so what they've done is they have a startup uh, award and they've down selected to five uh, startup companies. Uh, They're European based. Uh, so we got one from Belgium, we got from one from Latvia, one German, two Germans, and one from Switzerland. So interesting. Uh, there's a, a slew of um, European companies uh, getting into uh, additive, which is great. Uh, so I just want to highlight some of the cool technologies that they're talking about here. So uh, the Belgium-based uh, company, uh, Additive Lab, is going to develop a simulation software for uh, additive, specifically for metals. Uh, I thought that's pretty useful, particularly with uh, distortion and understanding porosity. Hopefully they uh, understand that. So they can go layer by layer and understand what's happening at each, each layer in their simulation. Uh, there's another one. The Latvian company is uh, Exponential Technology, I guess. <laughs> I guess they went with that, that name. Um, they're talking about using um, uh, understanding the full scope of uh, processing additive. So they're focusing there. The core, of course, is the metal printing of uh, or printing of metal uh, components, but they're also transitioning their workflow to understand what's required for CNC. So developing a additive, uh, I'm sorry, adaptive process for uh, additive manufacturing and including any uh, post-machining operations. Uh, there's a German company, Glass Glassomer, 
uh, that's looking at uh, 3D glass printing, which I think that's a pretty cool um, new technology, new um, material to start printing. Uh, and I do remember reading, say, about three years ago, research on MIT uh, printing M- silicone, right? Oh, I don't uh, know that one. I remember when MIT was printing like glass vases. Yeah, yeah. So it's very and similar. That was really cool. Like yeah. they and they had like rotating lights above yeah. each vase. Yep. To uh, show the way the light refracts through the printed glass. Exactly, and that's the biggest uh, technology implementation of why would you want to print glass or. Um, you know, uh, is be able to change. Think the about ref- how complex the lenses could be. Yeah, exactly. So you build the change in uh, refraction throughout yeah. the lens instead of putting yeah, different you lenses. Use, you use different types Correct. of glass with yeah. different indices, strengths, yeah. indices yep. of refraction. Yep. And then you can make a compound lens yep. that compensates for itself. Exactly. So, oh, so there's a lot of so potential there. So they're startup. Hopefully they're around for a couple of years. Hopefully they sustain. Um, and there's another one from Germany, again, um, Laser Melting Innovations. Uh, what they're doing is uh, low-cost metal printing targeted for small and medium-sized companies, maybe a desktop. hope so. Uh, we'll see. Uh, so they have cost-effective diode lasers and a smaller form factor. One interesting thing that I do take away from the last one is I don't think a lot of people understand the health implications of additives on, like, in their homes or in their small offices. Um, Go on. So... Like, particularly for the plastics. And uh, that's, you know, plastic printers have been around for a while. Right. You're melting the plastic. There's going to be some level of outgassing. Oh, that yeah. Occurs. There's going to be fumes. There's going to be some level of fumes. I don't fully, I don't think that the consumer industry or the consumer uh, population understands what's required. And I don't think there's a lot of uh, information given to the consumer on reducing this health risk. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a couple of companies that do like laser engraving and stuff like that. And they provide, uh, add-on stuff to help purify the air as it's printing, which I think is a good way to approach solving that problem of understanding the health risks involved because they're, they're clean there and they say, if you're not doing, if you're not going to buy this add-on, vent into open atmosphere or things like that. But if I just went out and buy out a you know, desktop 3D printer, I don't think there's very good documentation on the health precautions I should right, take. Right, yeah. But hmm. that's interesting. I'm sure California has something to say on I'm it. I'm sure there's some... Uh, <laughs> Some article related to that. Uh, Spectroplast, uh, located in Switzerland, a spinoff from Swiss Federal Institute of Technology. Uh, they're 3D printing silicones and for pretty high shortness, uh, looks like. Uh, and I guess they're doing all colors. So this would be more of the non-metallic, uh, being able to do various colors and a higher hardness level. So that's cool. I'm, I'm curious to see what's gonna who's going to be the winner. And uh, this was taken from um, the additive report. Uh, which we'll put a link to uh, in the show notes. Uh, do you have a? Uh, oh, I've got. No, nope, that was that was it. Yeah, I think. Awesome! That was three <laughs> articles. Went through that pretty well. Is this record time for us? No, we're doing it in time. Nice, good. Uh, thanks, Steve. This was great. You're welcome. I want to talk about our sponsor again. Yep. Uh, this episode is sponsored by the MT360 conference. Again, it's the intersection of manufacturing, software, and hardware, hardware uh, IoT. Super great series lineup. So we have a. Uh, um, we're going fast and f- and quick on the speakers for this year. We have a really good conference uh, in the theater in uh, Santa Clara, and we've got a great virtual factory and we're splitting the time up pretty evenly amongst the two. Uh, and the uh, the conference lineup has uh, a huge slew of speakers that are going to give 10-minute presentations, 20-minute presentations on either technology or implementations that they've done on those technologies. And also when we talk about you know a 
understanding technologies, it's under, it's useful to understand developing partnerships to help implement or execute those new technologies. Awesome. And all that will be discussed at the conference. Uh, go to MT360 conference to see speakers and technologies in the virtual factory. So if you want to know, follow more on news and research, you can follow me on LinkedIn. And where can they find you, Steve? They can find me at uh, Adventures of an Amateur Machinist on um my Blogspot website, which is swarfysteve.blogspot.com. It will be in the description below. Awesome. Bye, everybody. Bye.